Jeremy, have you ever been unable to breathe through your nose? Julie, I frequently can't breathe through my nose. So much so that I committed to the podcast today and brought my own nasal strip to make sure that I could breathe perfectly well. So I now have a breathe right nasal strip on for the rest of this episode. You look awesome. Or you look like you got beat up. Yeah. So just put we'll put some eye black underneath but I, you too. I'm just I'm I'm breathing so much better now. Nice. I, f- I have this problem. I can't breathe through my nose at all times. So continue. Oh, I'm so excited for you to learn along with us. This is great. You're like our listener right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Isn't it the worst? I mean, we've talked in the podcast with other experts, uh, including Dr. Dave Stukas, who is our peds allergist, about seasonal allergies, and our beloved pharmacist, Greg Castelli, about over-the-counter meds to try for cold symptoms. But what do you do when you've tried like the regular stuff, like your Breathe Right strip, to unclog your nose, and it's not working? I don't know. I hope somebody answers that question on this podcast. Yeah. And to give some context, according to University of Michigan Medicine, nasal and sinus disease affects 31 million Americans and accounts for 16 million outpatient visits every year in the U.S. The obstruction of airflow can come from a variety of sources. And the common factor is usually inflammation and swelling of the mucosal. I feel like, Jeremy, you've explained mucosal a lot to us. Um, Lining of the nasal and sinus passages. You know, sometimes other things can physically obstruct the flow of air like polyps or like a deviated septums, or sometimes if you're my sister, Becky, a mic and Ike that you shoved up there and then given to your other sister to eat. So, <laughs> so what should we do if we find ourselves mouth breathing? What if the neti pot it is a neti knot and you're full of neti snot? <laughs> should I just stop here? She's a lyricist, everybody. <laughs> So thankfully, meaningful research exists to provide helpful data on nasal and sinus disease and its treatment and its prevention. And we have our friend and a renowned expert in the field of otolaryngology to help us understand more. Let's do it. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I would love to introduce our guest who is a personal friend of mine, and I'm very excited. This is Dr. Michelle Fisher. Dr. Fisher, or Dr. Silverstein, or Dr. Mickey, we're going to call her a variety of things. Um, She is a board-certified adult and pediatric otolaryngologist who practices near Tampa, Florida, at Florida ENT and Allergy. She studied at Emory for undergrad. She went to Rush uh, for medical school with me. Um, Yes, and did her residency at the Medical College of Georgia. Um, She's authored several publications in the field of otolaryngology and head and neck surgery, and she's lectured at conferences and national meetings. She is also an all-around badass and a lovely human being. And I'm so happy. We're so happy to have you. Welcome, Mickey. Yay. Thanks for having me. I hope I live up to that introduction. That's awesome. Thanks, Julie. Awesome. Dr. Fisher, can you give us your origin story? Like how did you choose a career in otolaryngology? Sure. Um, You know, I didn't even know about otolaryngology or ENT, ear, nose, and throat when I started med school. Um, Definitely knew I wanted to do something more surgical as I went through the rounds. I liked, you know, the anatomy and being able to kind of get in there and make a quick difference, I guess. You know, you see people before and after, kind of like a, a makeover, but with surgery. Um, I like that there were 
kids and adults. And you got to make them feel better. And then you kind of just get into the conversation of which holes do you like the best? There <laughs> <laughs> she so, is. I think my, my bestie. Yeah. So, you know, the ears, nose, and throat just seemed much more approachable than the other ones to me personally. And um, <laughs> so right. that's how I got into a career of, of nose picking, to make a long story short. Oh, that's um that's a different <laughs> podcast. The uh, which holes do you like the best? We'll be able next week or two, whatever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mickey, can you explain what otolaryngologists do? Like, why do patients come see you? What usually spurs a patient to see an ENT? Sure. So otolaryngology kind of covers a broad array of specialties. But what I do is general ENT or ear, nose, and throat. So. What do people come to see me? I'd say, you know, the kids come in mostly if they have a lot of strep throat, need their tonsils out, a lot of ear infections, need ear tubes, a stuffy nose. Then, you know, all the way up to the adults with sinus problems, allergy problems, thyroid problems. And, um, you know, um, nasal obstruction, as we're talking about, is probably one of the most common things I do see patients for. And then that kind of falls in the realm of, of allergy as well. So a lot of different things that just involve the ears, nose, and throat, everything from the the dura to the plura, as we say, between the neck and the head. Ooh. I can be cheesy too. I um, <laughs> that's perfect. Perfect. The lyrical then, um, flowing of the, these two today is unreal. Mm-hmm. I you got feel left out. Jeremy, should we? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna start speaking in iambic pentameter and see if you guys can pick <laughs> up on it. No, it's super fun just watching your face right now with the. Yeah, with the right I actually face. have a very important sub question. How many people walk into your office looking like I do right now with a nasal strip on? Because at looking at myself right now, I can see why I like only wear these at <laughs> night. I look like an idiot. I definitely do see multiple people a day who come in with breathe right strips on, and they basically ask me to to help them because it's not helping their dating life much, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> very important stuff here. Yeah. Well, when I see it, it makes me excited because I feel like there's a lot of stuff we can do to. To help you. That's Please. Awesome. By the end of this episode, I shouldn't need to wear this is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, if you take a little medical trip down to Florida, we can get you all fixed up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, let's focus on nasal breathing obstructions. So in a quick overview, and we'll break down a lot of the causes, Mickey, so don't feel overwhelmed by this question, yes. please. Um, like, wh- why does this happen? Just in a general, like, thousand mile away view. Right. Why do people get stuffy? Yeah. So there's kind of two different reasons. One is either they're, or I guess three different reasons. One, their nose is too small, mm-hmm. so there's not enough physical room for air to get through, you know, whether that be a broken nose, a deviate, something, something physically blocking it. Two, that the mucosal shiny shit lining is inflamed and is taking up a lot of room in that limited space. Or, which happens to people who wear a lot of the Breathe Right strips, if they kind of have floppy cartilage. And so when they breathe in, it's kind of like, sucking through a straw too quickly when it collapses mm-hmm. and then it just kind of gets nasal claps, which can be a combination of kind of the, the space and the inflammation together. But those are probably the three main reasons why people can't breathe. And then it breaks down to why are they inflamed? You know, is it allergy infection or, or what? So a lot of subgroups, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the first, and I'll, I'll kind of go down with the list that I created and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong or and give me some insights, you know? So the first on my list, and I wonder if this is alphabetical, is like allergic rhinitis or like stuffy nose, allergy nose, seasonal allergies. We cover this a bit with Dr. Stukas um, and that the causes we discussed before are like indoor and outdoor allergens. And people 
often try to do treatment with like nasal rinses or nasal steroids or oral antihistamines and avoiding triggers. Anything else that you would add from the ENT perspective, Dr. Yeah, no, no, that's a really, really good list right there. I'd say in addition to that stuff that I know we can do at our practice, something like immunotherapy or, you know, allergy shots or drops and, you know, stuff like that, that actually targets the root of the allergies and makes people for lack of a better word, like more immune to allergies. So that's another kind of extra step you could take in addition to the avoidance and, and medication for the allergies alone. To keep it organized in my head, can we stay kind of like with that flow sheet that Mickey had going? Because she said there was basically yeah. three categories. And okay. so maybe we just headed down one of those categories. Allergic rhinitis or basically yeah. having allergies in your nose is in which category, Mickey? And then maybe expound to the next ones that are in that category. Perfect. So um, I'd say the allergic rhinitis would cause swelling and inflammation of the lining of your nose which would fall into the kind of the, the actual swelling in the nose that's keeping the airflow from, from coming in. Good. This, is, this works, Jeremy. Thank you. Because my next one is chronic sinusitis, which I think, you know, Dr. Fisher, that, for, correct me if I'm wrong, that would still kind of fall in the swelling, but also maybe even a little bit of an obstructive. Um, yeah. You know, um, but yeah the swelling but, leads to the obstruction sure. as well. Yeah. So I would agree 100% that the next one, you know, when you get – chronic sinusitis, the also another reason whether it's bacterial or viral or fungal or, or whatever causes the lining to get inflamed. And then the tiny holes in your nose and your face get more inflamed and things back up and can go into your sinuses and basically wreak, wreak havoc from there. Got it. I feel like I'm kind of like thinking about that. I may be confused. I didn't really, sinusitis is an infection, right? You just said it's one of those three types. It's viral, bacterial, or fungal. Yes. Yeah, so I guess sinusitis as a term alone would just mean inflammation of the sinuses. So what can cause sinusitis? I guess it could be allergies causing inflammation, but if you're going to be more of a infectious sinusitis, which is what we chronically or typically think of, like a sinus infection, it would either come from a virus or from bacterial infection or from a, a fungus most of the time. It can be precipitated by something like allergies. So if you get inflamed, more crap can get stuck in there. And then it can get more infected. So. so I, but I would have thought that an infection goes away, right? So how do I get a chronic infection? Yeah, that's, that's a good call. So how do you get a chronic infection? Um, the definition of chronic infection, I guess, would be something that lasts for more than about 12 weeks. So, you know, if you've taken antibiotics or, or not, and just the stuffy nose, the pressure in your face, your teeth pain, all that just isn't going away for over 12 weeks, then in the ENT world, we put that on as a chronic infection. So that's when it kind of changes from acute to chronic. Um, in your nose, there's only a limited amount of space. So sometimes if it doesn't get treated, things just get so inflamed that everything backs up. And so once it gets backed up, kind of all the medicine in the world can't, can't get it out. So it gets stuck up there. And that's when you hear about the stuff that doesn't get better with antibiotics, keeps coming back over and over and need kind of more, more treatment than just your average neti pot for the neti snot <laughs> or an it. antibiotic. <laughs> or if you get a mic and egg stuck up there. Yes, we do see crazy stuff like that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, like who, who gets this? Like what are the, are there risk factors that some folks can have that might make them more apt to getting chronic sinusitis? Absolutely. I'd say um, one, people with allergic rhinitis or different allergies are just more prone because they're have more inflammation in there. Two, people with anatomic defects of their nose, you know, if it's real crooked, if they got in a fight or if they have um, a deviated septum, which means that 
you know, one side of the nose is smaller than the other, and it's kind of blocking the average flow of the mucus in the air. Um, um, so anyone can get it though. It's also, you know, you can get it like any other bacteria, but some people are going to get affected more just by their anatomy and their underlying conditions. Got it. How do you diagnose it? Do you have to do like a scan of your head? Do you have to like take a culture of the stuff in your head holes? Like, how do you, (laughs) how do you know how to, that you have it? And how do you, how would you work up somebody that you we're seeing for chronic sinusitis. Yeah, so there's not one size fits all workup for chronic sinusitis. I'd say if someone comes in with symptoms such as a stuffy nose, if they're wearing a breathe right strip and look super cool like you, or <laughs> if, um, <laughs> you know, they say that they have pressure in their face, teeth pain, headaches. Sometimes they even say like blurry vision if they're tired. So, you know, you start with the symptoms and if it seems like something that could be caused from the sinuses, then we go on to a physical exam, you know, and you look in their nose, then you see if there's any swelling of the lining of the mucosal lining, if there's any pus, if you see any polyps, then we have um, what's called like a nasal endoscopy, which is a camera. Um, Basically, there's two options. There's a rigid one that's like a little metal stick or another one that's a long rubber thing. So it's like a rubber hose up your nose, we like to say, (laughs) and um, can go in each nostril, look around, look for inflammation, see if anything's blocked up there, if there's any pus or polyps, if it looks kind of discolored up there, if um, there's just no space to get through with a camera and people are completely clogged, those are some things to look for. Uh, We definitely do take swabs at times and see if there's a bacteria growing. I'd say usually, you know, there's a first line treatments and you try that first, but if it doesn't work, then I've been known to swab a lot to kind of just figure out exactly what bacteria it is because then it you know gives you a list it's this bacteria these are what treats it and you give it and they can get better um and then there's ct scans of the sinus which we use all the time to see if it's just in the nose or if it goes farther is actually filling the sinus cavities in the head got it how do you treat it that is a very good question (laughs) (laughs) depends so um let's say you come in with acute sinusitis, or you think it's acute sinusitis. So most of the time, if it's only been for a few days, we kind of can assume that it's viral because that's the most common reason people come in. If it goes on for about a week or 10 days and it looks like there's pus in there or something like that, then the first round is definitely an antibiotic. Um, You know, we do antibiotic and most of the time some nasal steroid, like a Flonase or or something like that in the nose. Um, We love neti pots. I think, you know, rinsing the nose out is the best. You know, if you dilution is the answer to everything, as they say, you know, just rinse it all out. If it's not up there, it can't be infected. And then... um, Did you on purpose choose not to rhyme right there? I did. I I had to hold it in. That was the only thing. I felt like I was being judged. That's on our toes, Mickey. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's the solution to pollution. But... um, and then if that doesn't <laughs> do it, and if people turn into chronic sinusitis, where we can't really get with maximum medical therapy of steroids, orally and nasally, antibiotics, rinses, treated all their allergies, see sinusitis on their CT scan, that's when we turn to more procedural or, or surgical options. I love that you brought up the endoscopy, um, you know, the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you could go through kind of what that procedure looks like, if, you know, you know, what patients feel, if they're awake, how quick do you do it on the same day that you're doing physical exams? I think that, that many people who have not been doing ENT recently or ever wouldn't know that that's yes. something that's done regularly. Yeah. So I'd say it's a common misconception that it's a whole procedure separate from everything else we do. Say in the ENT armamentarium of things that we do, um, definitely the scope is part of our physical exam. So, you know, what do we have that your average family medicine doctor, ER doctor, or primary care can't do? Like they can look in your nose as well as I can, right? But I have the tools to look a little bit farther and, and see what's going on. So that's how we do it with a nasal endoscopy. So if you're coming in for a stuffy nose to an ENT, chances are you're going to get something stuck up there. So be prepared. <laughs> so what do we do? Is it uncomfortable? I'm not going to say it's like what you want to do on a Friday night, but it's it's not painful. You're not going to go home with any lasting side effects or anything like that. We uh, usually spray the nose first with a combination of Afrin, which kind of opens it up a little bit in your nose to give it more room and some lidocaine that that numbs it. So most of the time, people's biggest complaint is that the nasal spray tastes bad and it makes their throat a little numb. And then, you know, you get real nervous about the nasal endoscopy. We look in the nose about, you know, seven to 10 seconds each side most of the time. And then everyone's like, that's it. I was expecting it to be something awful, but it's not. We do it all the time. So it's like different than when uh, you have to go get like a colonoscopy. You don't have to like give somebody a prep that they got to do 24 hours ahead of time. No, it's not that fun. No, <laughs> Flush themselves out. It's much easier. No, no pounds are lost. It's not a diet. We just oh God. take a Wouldn't beat. that be scary if pounds were lost with all the snot that came out of your head? That would be a major problem. <laughs> That'd be be good for business, but truth, truth. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to touch briefly on um, like when is surgery indicated and and like briefly how's it performed? You know, what's the general recovery time? Right. You don't have to go into like crazy, you know. So how do we treat it? When is surgery indicated? And generally, like how is the surgery done these days? Yeah, so you know, I I think when we're talking about different things that cause inflammation in the nose, we try to treat it medically first. So if we can identify it as allergies with an allergy test or, or whatnot. If you can't avoid the thing, take allergy meds, nasal sprays and whatnot to get rid of the inflammation. And sometimes we have to take matters into our own hands and take the things that are swollen and, and shrink them down. So in that case, I'd say the, the most common thing that allergies cause, if you don't have chronic sinusitis and just have a stuffy nose, is called inflammation of the inferior turbinates. So your turbinates are these guys in your nose that kind of look like a grape on each side. And they get big and small and big and small and humidify air. And everyone has them. They do a job and they're important. But if they kind of get too big, then they can take up the limited spot of your your nose. So um, if we can't treat that with medicine, the next step is called a turbinate reduction. And that's something we often can even do in the office where we take those grapes and a machine called a microdebreeder, which is like a little liposuction to the grapes and turn them to little raisins, push them to the side. So they can still get big and small and, and do their thing, but from a smaller starting point. So it's just kind of kind of cheating. It, it amazes me how much stuff you can just do in the office these days. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, if you and if you can't make things smaller, you got to make the room bigger. So, you know, if there's if you have tiny holes of your sinuses that drain all your sinus cavities, there's more stuff even in the office you can do like a balloon sinuplasty. I don't know if you've heard of that. Or under local inflammation, you go into the actual natural hole of a sinus with literally a balloon on the end of a stick, blow up the balloon, deflate it, take it out, 
So the little hole, instead of being a few millimeters, is more like a centimeter and everything can just flow. So it's either shrink stuff down or make stuff bigger. That's great. Because my thought process of, of sinus surgery, and mm. I'd never had it, but I've yeah. had like family members that have had to have it done, and maybe this was years ago, is that like, mm. it's this major thing, the recovery sucks, you have black eyes afterwards, yeah, uh, you know, all that. Well, it definitely depends on the severity of your disease. Sure. Um, I'd say back in the day, meaning, I don't know, just more than 15 years ago when I've been doing this, yeah. there there's these horror stories where people exactly had black eyes. They say their nose was stuffed with like a cotton that was 10 feet tall. And they remember, you know, back in the 60s going in and their dad had to get like a whole yarn ball pulled out of their nose and it really <laughs> never happened to them. Um, I'd say it's not like that anymore. Even in the more severe cases where we go to the operating room and kind of rotor-rooter everything out. It's usually about an hour-long surgery. People go home. It's about a week. Like, you feel like you got punched in the nose, but you have no bruising or anything like that. Take it easy. And then a week later, you come back, look in the nose, suction stuff out because you're going to have a bunch of bloody boogers. Mm -hmm. And then you feel better. So it's not not the worst surgery in the world. Awesome. I, uh, I personally have had nasal surgery um, and had it when I was in medical school and it was the worst experience I've ever had in my entire life. What you've done, tell us everything. I'm so and I will... You've had spine surgery too, Jeremy. Jeez, and the sinus was worse? Um, the, still need a breathing I, I, I would do the spine surgery a thousand times before oh, I would do... The nasal what? surgery was the worst recovery I've ever had and it didn't work either as I'm sitting here with a nasal strip. That's, <laughs> by the way, I'm, I, I, I didn't use one of my good nasal strips for this uh, episode. I used one of my cheap off-brand ones and it's already it's already coming off. So uh, it gives you an idea of how much we suffer with these things. But um, yeah, I'm excited for the next category because my surgery was for that and I'll get into my surgery when we do the next category. Wait. So it's not a breathe right strip. It's like a breathe like kind of okay strip. No, it's kind of like uh, breathe right for the next uh, like hour to an hour and a half until it comes off your nose strip. <laughs> you can't fit that on the packaging. No. So we've established in this kind of like everything swollen and inflamed um, world. We have allergies and we have kind of like chronic inflammation a lot of times due to infection. Is there anything else that fits into that category? I think that's, those are the major ones. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, meander away from, you know, chronic swelling problems and then talk more about obstructive issues. So mm. the first one that came to my mind were nasal polyps. So like, what are they, Mickey? So nasal polyps, they can be the result of many different things, I guess. But if you picture, I guess I'm going with this grape analogy a lot today, but like peeled grapes being shoved up your nose. Not Mike and Ike's, but like that color of just, you know, it's when you get so much inflammation in there, allergic reaction, that the lining basically can't handle all of it. So it pops out these little great balls and they kind of cause more inflammation and multiply on themselves. And you get filled with polyps in your nose where it just blocks all the airflow and can go into your sinuses and you can't get rid of them unless you see me. Got it. How do you know if you have one? Like, can you see them in the office on exam usually, Mickey, with just like a regular? So it depends. I'd say, yeah. you know, most of the time that's where the nasal endoscopy comes in. You know, you look in the nose and you can check and you see all the normal anatomy. And then if there's extra little balls of inflammation in there, then you can tell that it is a polyp. I've okay. definitely had some patients who have severe polyps where I've seen them actually physically coming out of their nose before. Oh. So that is not the the norm, but... Definitely. Sometimes you can even see them coming out of your nose. Gotcha. 
But it sounds like the average person's not like looking up their wife's nose and being like, look, there's a polyp right there. Like right. That, no. that this is something diagnosed more by a doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Why do people get polyps? I, was I born with it? So, oh, you're, 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 this is you now. No, it's not. <laughs> a free consult here. I was, I was speaking for the person driving right now who, you know, like has a nasal polyp and is like, I don't understand why I got it in the first place. So there's a few reasons. Um, some people have it due to untreated chronic sinusitis where the inflammation just gets so out of hand that it, again, kind of spirals out of control. I'd say down here in the South where it's kind of warm and moist, let's say Georgia, Florida, kind of that Bible Belt area. Mm-hmm. A lot of times there's something called allergic fungal sinusitis mm. where, you know, there's there's fungus out there and everyone breathes it in all day where, you know, maybe me or you doesn't have a reaction. Some people have a severe reaction to it and it causes polyps in their nose, causes it's like kind of thick, thick peanut butter, creamy, nasty drainage from their nose. Ugh. And it can kind of, <laughs> now this is the fun stuff, Julie. <laughs> and that's um kind of a, a really common thing we see with people with severe polyps, especially in kind of the Southeast region. And then there are a bunch of syndromes out there as well. One that comes to mind is something called Samter's triad, where um, basically it's just a combination where people have a sensitivity to aspirin, have nasal polyps, and something else that I just forgot. So I have to look that up. It's a tr- Samter's biad for now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> up well on that one, yeah. Dr. Fisher. Who says, who says doctors aren't real people? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we forget shit, and so we just change the narrative. I know. I, was like, oh, I haven't heard that Sam's tried for a while, but um, yeah. yeah. So there's all sorts of things that can cause it, but the root cause is most of the time general inflammation. Sometimes we want to get you know more into immunology, like IgE, eosinophil based. You know, people who have kind of very very strong um, overactive immune systems. So more importantly, though, people, this isn't like a polyp, like a mass that I was born with or whatever. This is something that develops through exposures and whatnot. Right. And 99% of the time, it is not anything that's cancerous, anything that's dangerous. There are, you know, obviously exceptions to the rule where there's masses that can be anywhere that can turn into something different. But True. most of the time, if you come in for nasal polyps, it's it's something more allergic and inflammatory, and it's it's not going to affect your, your lifespan or the rest of your life or, or any other thing except for your breathing through your nose. Um, and for the record, Jeremy mentioned people that are listening to this in the car and we were talking about whether or not you can see polyps, you know, just by looking at them. Don't don't look in your rearview mirror <laughs> to see if you have polyps right now. Or if you do, you just pull over first. Pull over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that. But if you do yeah. have an ENT on a on a Zoom call or a podcast, you just get yeah. that nose right up in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get pictures from all sorts of people all the time. And yeah. I'm like, oh, Reorient, what is this? Okay. Well, Okay. Yeah. What What am I looking at right now? We're waiting for that uh, at, that that iPhone attachment where I can stick that you know like that endoscopy up my nose and you can tell right. me what what you're seeing. That'd be great. I could sit in this chair all day long. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. Um, how do you remove them or shrink them or lessen their effect? Can you do it without surgery? Yeah. So again, it kind of depends on what they come from, but there's a few first line treatments. The first is with medicine. Normally, either treating allergies, topical nasal steroids, like, you know, sprays. There's some special sprays out there now, which are known to just treat polyps. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're just steroids, but one's really cool. So picture this. <laughs> it has a little thing that goes up your nose, like a normal nasal spray, mm-hmm. and a little phalange that goes in your mouth. So, you know, you got to kind of have, tell patients before you just call it in for them, because if they pick it up, they're like, what is this thing? Yuck. But um, So basically, you blow into it. 
and it makes a seal between your nose and your mouth. So it kind of closes up that whole system mm. and they press it kind of like an inhaler and then it goes up the nose and kind of spreads past the polyps and can kind of treat it better. So Ooh. most people say with conventional nasal steroids, they just spray it in their nose and it feels like it just comes right out because it's all mm. blocked. This one actually creates a little tunnel for it to go pew, right up wow. your nose. That's really interesting. Yeah, like a yeah. like a nasal wind tunnel, and you're kind yes. of hitting it from different angles. Yeah. How rad! Oh, okay. the, uh, the biomedical engineers lost some sleep over that one and finally came up with it. I like it. Yeah, no, it's actually therapy. I think you should yeah. look into this. I, it's not going to treat my problem. We haven't gotten there yet. I can't. Oh, wait. got it. Sorry. Okay. And then so that's like one start, and then you know a little bit more aggressive would be you know even taking them out with one of those microbeater tools that yeah. I was talking about in the office, you know, without having to have a big surgery, if it's just in your nose, um, you know, people have been known to inject them with steroids to shrink them down in the office. There's some implants that you could put in your nose that are drug eluding stents. What does that mean? Basically it's a little device you put up someone's nose while they're awake. And over time it slowly releases medication locally. Yeah. So those are some ways to avoid surgery. And then, um, there's some new fancy kind of biologic in, injections that were originally created for more like um, eczema and asthma, but now are being used for nasal polyps as well. So sometimes people can get away with a you know, biweekly injection and, and stuff like that. So we're seeing all sorts of options before getting to surgery. Huh. Yeah. I learned something today. I'm learning a ton. And to be honest, we haven't gotten to my my narrative oh. here, but, but, but you, you, you have lessened the fear of ever going back to the ENT for me through this <laughs> no, episode you, because there's so many other one. options. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to go to Florida, Jeremy. Yeah. We'll take good care of you. Get VIP treatment. <laughs> All right. Well, then doctor, my last... Is that ENT friend now? Yes. <laughs> uh, friends of your doctor friends. Yes. Um, all right. Well, my last category, the obstructive category, is a deviated septum. Yes. So... Are people born with this? Yes. Happened from trauma? Did somebody not like what Jeremy was saying to them and gave them a old smackaroo on the nose? Yeah, all of the above. So <laughs> sometimes, you know, people are not born completely symmetrical and one side can be different than the other. So it could just be you. Mm-hmm. Two, you know, one theory is trauma from the birth canal itself. I hear it's kind of a, a small hole and, you know, you get a lot of pushing in there and it can definitely push on the nose and it depends how what angle you come out in. <laughs> sure. um, then a lot of times people say, you know, they don't remember getting their nose hit or their nose broken, but, you know, maybe they played soccer growing up or just, you know, roughhoused a bunch. And sure. sometimes that causes it. And then there's people like, I'm presuming Jeremy, who got in the bar fight. And, <laughs> and then, you know. I just, just pictured Jeremy in a bar fight and I just can't. I can't. He's just too nice. I also do not have the body type to ever go into a bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me the odds are the odds are against me that's your opinion (laughs) sir (laughs) everybody is a bar fight body yeah (laughs) if the the bar fight involved like running as fast as we could i had a a better chance (laughs) well you know mickey can it get better without surgery if somebody has you know one side of their nostrils not big enough to let stuff through yeah so so the the septum itself isn't going to move on its own. Mm. So you are you have what you have with the septum. So I, I like to think of the nose as two different rooms, right? So it's split with a wall in the middle. 
So sometimes they're 50-50, they're the same size room. Sometimes one room is smaller than the other if you have a deviated septum into one side. So it could be 70-30. So if you're like, I can't breathe through my left nostril, it's because that room is smaller than the other room. Hmm. Without knocking down the wall, you can't change the size of the room. So you need surgery to fix it. But you can shrink down what's in that room, like the size of the furniture, and give you more space. Yeah. So, you know, if you're really trying to avoid surgery, you know, you can address the other issues like we talked about, like inflammation. You know, if you have less allergies, less inflammation, then even though one's smaller than the other, it might be enough for you to breathe. Okay. That's when you can talk about some of those more less invasive procedures, like the turbinate reduction that we said, where, you know, you're, you're not moving the septum, but you're making what's filling each side of the nose smaller to help the nasal flow on, on both sides. So you can't move it with all the medicine in the world, but you can kind of trick it into thinking it's okay by making everything around it less inflamed and smaller. That's a great analogy. Uh, the, 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 it may be obvious to listeners at this point that the septum is the thing in the middle of the nose that is the thing that separates yes. those two rooms. But can you talk a little bit about what is the septum actually? Like what's it made out of? Yeah. So the septum is a combination of cartilage and bone separating the left and the right nostril. And then it's covered by that mucosal lining on both sides. So mm-hmm. the mucosal lining itself can get inflamed like anywhere else in, in the nose. But basically it's covering some cartilage that is splitting the nose in half. And then as you go farther and farther back into your nose, like where your finger can't reach, it turns into bone and gets a little harder and kind of incorporates with the rest of your, your skull. Again, don't try to put your finger in your nose while you're driving to see how far back that is. (laughs) What kind of weirdo puts their finger in their nose? (laughs) They do it for a living. It's awesome. (laughs) Everybody everywhere. (laughs) Well, this is, this is the surgery I had. And, uh, um, I mean, it was, I mean, how many years ago now? What's so I was 12 years ago. Um, and so I have a bad deviated septum. Mm -hmm. I have a great room and a closet. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I, anytime that I would get any bit congested in any form or fashion, I basically wouldn't be able to breathe out of that nostril. Like yeah. it was even like the lightest amount. And so I tried all the noise, nasal steroids and whatever. And, you know, like sometimes I was fine, but like, it just was happening so frequently that I consulted and, and at some point went through and decided to do the surgery. And the surgery took like two to three times longer than they quoted. I mean, I was in there for a long time. My wife was freaking Oof. out. And afterward, I just remember being in bed. I had that image that you've already described, Julie, like my face was black and blue. I had the nasal like uh, dilators up in my Mm. nose. I was so uncomfortable. And I just remember basically taking a pain pill, falling asleep, waking back up, taking a pain pill, falling asleep, just basically trying to sleep my way through the first few days. Mm. Um, And then the worst uh, of the outcome of that is that it didn't get any better. It didn't work. Um, And so, you know, again, I, I have actually reconnected with a local ENT because something that happened to me recently, Julie, that I thought was an interesting anecdote was I, we wear whoops. Whoop is a wonderful way to get information on your recovery. And, and, um, you can get a free month by using your doctor friend's link that we'll put in, we'll put in the show notes. Don't forget. Yeah. But, but, uh, uh, ultimately speaking, um, 
my wife started wearing one and she was getting like a hundred percent sleep efficiency scores. And I like mm-hmm. got like in the mid seventies and I was like, S- I feel like I do a decent, I don't understand. So all I did was one thing. I put on a breathe right nasal strip. It was the first time I'd done it in years. And for the next five consecutive days, my sleep efficiency went up to 94%. It was wow. a 20% increase. All I did was put huh. on a nasal strip and I was like, it's, I can't breathe out of my nose at night. <laughs> um and i wasn't does katie ever mention like uh you're you're a noisy nelly so i don't i don't actually snore that bad to be Mm -hmm. honest um i get in certain positions and i can snore um but if i get congested it's just it's a disaster right because like when i when i give you that anecdote i was not sick or congested in any way that was my baseline we've already talked about this on our other podcast with allergies. I use Flonase on a daily basis, um, and have for years, um, for allergies. So anyways, one of the encouraging things to me about this podcast and also what was referred back to me is like endoscopy didn't really get used much back in those days. I'm sure some people were doing it. It just wasn't like a standard, like Mm -hmm. you just didn't go in and get it all the time. And the concept now is, and, and this is the way it was described to me because I, I, I noticed that big improvement. I was like, I should probably go get this looked at again, but I will never go through that surgery ever again unless somebody tells me it's like way different. It doesn't uh, hurt me at all. I don't know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, I, I, in, in, in fair, like, again, and I, I'm not, uh, the surgeon said it was one of the two or three worst he'd ever seen. Oh, wow. um, and I don't know if that's something he just told me or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but the, the point is, well, when he told me that he didn't know it wasn't going to work. So maybe he didn't just tell me that because it right. had lasted a long time in the surgery. But the concept of basically being able to do that endoscopy, look up in there and kind of see all of the furniture, right? Because mm-hmm. there is a chance that the rest of the furniture isn't actually being optimized as well. And maybe I could do some things for that absolutely, without doing surgery. So I think that you've done a really good job of painting a picture of there's options. And I'm mm-hmm. excited to go back into the NT office now and maybe mm-hmm. have that endoscopy and kind of get an idea of where everything's at. Absolutely. Um, but this thing's, it's miserable. I, 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 Anybody sitting and listening right now who has a deviated septum, you have a doctor friend who understands. Oh, well, it sounds like yours was worse. So your, your recovery is probably worse too. <laughs> don't I hope be scared, so. everyone. I hope nobody yeah. has my, my recovery on that. And again, I, I don't mean to scare anyone away from the surgery. In fact, I think, Mickey, you've done an amazing job so far of basically, I think, I had my experience. I should be the one that has the most trauma of the, you know, like on this podcast mm-hmm. of like thinking about this. And I felt really comfortable through everything you were just saying about like, I should go back in and hear what they have to say and yeah. and do some stuff. So I think you've done a really nice job of yeah. opening the door back up for at least this one person. And another cool thing about ENT though, just a little plug for ENTs in general is maybe in the last few years. And again, I can't really attest to 30 years ago, but there are a bunch of cool gadgets that we can use and technology in the office. So you know, if you're saying that you get better when you use a breathe right strip, then you kind of have some of that nasal valve claps that we were talking about. And there's even some cool stuff they can do in addition to shrinking down the furniture where they strengthen the walls, where either um, there's something that uses like a radio frequency ablation to kind of thicken the sides. There's something that implants they can put to kind of keep your nose from from collapsing. So there's a bunch of little things to do to fine tune you without having to re-break your nose and put you through all that trauma again. So I think you're I think they already did the heavy lifting. So even if you don't feel better, all the, the big walls were knocked down already. And mm. I just got to get a little interior designer to, to spruce it up a bit. You guys are like nasal contractors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love this. Mickey, you are a wordsmith. I mean, if you if you ever were sick of yeah. ear, nose, and throat stuff, you should definitely write. I would uh, I, I would read anything that you put in front of oh me. Oh, my God. Thank you. Well, I will, um, I will definitely keep you posted. <laughs> 
Um, any other causes? I mean, unless we're, we have more to say about deviated septums, but a deviated septum. And you mentioned that nasal valve collapse. Mickey, mm-hmm. um, any other things that you see very frequently in the office when people say, oh my gosh, I can't breathe through my nose. Help me, Dr. Fisher, that we didn't touch on? Uh, I think those are, those are the main ones. I mean, you touched on the foreign bodies, which is a real thing. Yeah. So definitely, you know, we, we laugh about it, but it it happens more than, than you think. Um, But yeah, infection, allergy, just the anatomy, Mm -hmm. polyps. Those are, those are the main things we see. Cool. Jeremy, do you have anything you also want to add before I get into some debunking of myths and misinformation, many of which we've already done, but I'll try to find the ones on my weird dumb list that we haven't talked about. Yeah. uh, Maybe just for someone who's listening to this episode and has always had trouble breathing out of their nose in some form or fashion, but maybe has never explored it. That's why they clicked on the episode and wanted to listen. And short of saying, go see an ENT, which I think is obviously maybe Mm -hmm. the right thing to do is go see an ENT and get a full evaluation and have them do the endoscopy and get an answer to at least why it's happening. Are there some things that people can do kind of on their own at the start to just either help identify or even help their symptoms without necessarily running off to the doctor immediately? Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the first line of defense before you make a doctor's appointment would be to see what you can do with over-the-counter medicines that are with mild side effects that don't, you know, if you're, if you're a healthy person, if you have a lot of other conditions, if you take a lot of medicines then don't do anything on your own, but if you're an otherwise healthy person, then I think it's totally reasonable to start with something like a neti pot or saline rinse, just rinse everything out of your nose. That's kind of twofold. One, if there's boogers in there, just rinse them out and you'll get more room. Two, let's say you have allergies and you're allergic to dust. All that dust is going in through your nose and sitting there and you're reacting to it. So if you rinse it out, then you don't react to it as much. And kind of same with bacteria. So just rinsing it out is like a shower for your nose. No side effects, all natural, can't hurt you. Um, so that's that's kind of step one. Yeah. Then um, I'm a big proponent of Flonase. So I, I like that over the counter. Just kind of can use it daily as long as you don't have, you know, glaucoma or anything else that would keep you from needing to use it. Um, And you can use that daily. And then, you know, you can go to an ENT and get a whole allergy test, but kind of a quick and dirty allergy test is take an allergy pill and see if it makes a difference. You know, if it does, then it's allergies. If it doesn't, then it's probably not. So, you know, over the counter, Claritin, Zyrtec, Allegra, any of that stuff, mix with Flonase for maybe a few weeks and and see if that makes a difference with your nasal rinses. It's probably a, a good place to start. I have maybe a really dumb question, but like, why do we make boogers? <laughs> what are boogers? So boogers are, <laughs> you know, I don't remember the actual chemical breakdown, but basically it is your body's way of a first line of defense. So basically your nose is an open hole to the rest of your body. And there's a lot of really important things there. You know, your eyes, your brain, your throat, which goes into your lungs. So kind of the nose is a passageway to your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so if nothing was in it, if we didn't have any way of trapping stuff, then everything could just get through. So the boogers are there to basically trap stuff from coming through. And that's why when you have allergies or infection or something that's kind of posing a risk to your body, you're going to make more boogers and get more congested. Mm. So kind of a, a vicious cycle. So everyone needs boogers. You just need just the right amount. Yeah. So my follow-up question or the, maybe what I was going for after that this is where I wanted to get to. You mm-hmm. set me. You set me up perfectly. Was <laughs> do people vary on the amount of booger production, or is it is the quantity based on like an 
like a condition like allergies. Like I just feel like some people feel like they have tons of boogers or big boogers and other people are like, yeah, I never have boogers in my nose. And like, yeah, so is I that just a genetic back. variant? <laughs> I do think it varies, but then I also think it, it's a matter of what you got going on in the nose. If you don't have good anatomy in the nose, if you have a deviated septum, if you're swollen, boogers are going to get trapped up there and just sit mm. there. And the more they get stuck up there, the thicker they're going to get, the more is going to seem like it's coming out. So even if you're making the same amount as someone else, you might seem like it's more because it's sitting there. It's like a puddle that's getting dirty and gross and, mm-hmm. and coming out. So that's all I got. I, that was a really good answer and something that I, I, I was ge- <laughs> I was generally curious. I didn't think I had an answer. Um, and I feel like that should go into the obstruction category. We never talked about boogers. Uh, yeah, obst- absolutely. Obst- obst- yeah. Uh, removable, but uh, generally Ill- ill-advised, at least in public. Yes. <laughs> Don't eat them this either. Is- because they literally talk about that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this is the most we've said the word boogers in this podcast. I mean. I think there was one other podcast we ever talked about boogers. I literally have a job where I say the word burger like 50 times a day. It's pretty I awesome. I love that. We haven't had an ENT on. So, of course, this that's is the true. booger episode. It's true. The booger episode. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's great. Thank you, all everybody. Right. We can debunk now that we're past boogers. Thank you. Um. All right. Cool. This for these ones are a lot of these are, are softballs, Mickey. So I think you could just sometimes even just give me a true or a false mm-hmm. if you know, but if you want to give some follow up, that'd be great too. So, one, uh, all sinus infections need antibiotics. Good, false. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say a lot of them do if they get out of hand. You know, if you're getting green boogers, if you feel sick, if it's been going on for a long time, it chances are it's not getting better on its own. But you know, if it's lasts less than a week, if you're just kind of feeling a little stuffy, then I'd start with a over-the-counter nasal rinses, you know, some cold medicines that you guys said you've talked about in the past, mm-hmm. maybe some steroid nasal spray, and just give your body some time to, to fight it off. Uh, yeah, follow-up question. If your snot slash mucus slash boogers mm-hmm. are green or yellow, it's definitely a bacterial sinus infection and needs antibiotics. Well, I'm going to go in medicine. Nothing is a definite, so <laughs> false. Excellent. But um, I, I do think, at least for me, when I see that there's some pus or discolored mm-hmm. mucus, then it leans me more towards a bacterial infection. However, if you have a viral infection, you're inflamed, your boogers are getting stuck up there and they're not coming out, they're going to turn funky colors anyway. So Got it. definitely um, something's going on, whether or not it's bacterial or viral, you can't really say a hundred percent. Got it. Uh, all sinus infections are contagious. So most of the time, sinus infections are actually themselves not contagious. However, the virus or the bacteria that is causing it is. So, you know, if you have a sinus infection, I wouldn't say you have to quarantine in a room or anything like that, but don't blow your nose and wipe it on somebody else. You know, make sure you're washing your hands You probably don't share drinks, but it's mostly localized in your sinuses. But again, if it's from a bacteria or a virus, that is something that can get passed on. Mm -hmm. But unless someone's picking your nose or or all up in there, then it should be avoidable to, to transmit. Got it. Oh, I think you'll like this one. Um, if you, can't breathe through your nose, just use Afrin. That'll open it up. Yes. No, (laughs) absolutely not. So Afrin is awesome. And it's, I can't do my job without Afrin. So we use Afrin to stop nosebleeds. We use Afrin to open up the sinus passages. In sinus surgery, we stuff the nose with Afrin. So like Afrin is an awesome medication when used properly and in moderation. (laughs) Um, I do have a lot of patients who use it regularly and it actually leads to a fancy disease, I guess you can call it, called rhinitis medicamentosa, Love it. which sounds like it's straight out of Harry Potter, but it's actually like a real thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 
And you can look, you look in someone's nose and it just looks like it's been beat up. Yeah. But um, I'd say the, the big thing with Afrin is if you're using it for more than three days straight, you can get what's called a, a rebound effect. So, you know, it works great. It shrinks up all the mucosal lining really, really quickly. And you get that instant ability to breathe. And then you kind of need more of it because the more you use it, the more it comes back with a vengeance. So it'll shrink it up real quick, but then it'll rebound and be worse than ever. So you actually do get addicted and get a, a physical dependence to it. It's not just, you know, people think, oh, I'm addicted to it because it feels good. No, you're actually addicted to it because you are physically dependent on it. Because when you don't use it, it's worse than if you never used it. So it actually is a real addiction. Yeah. Um, have you ever called somebody out during their nas nasal endoscopy and be like, girl, I know what you've been doing because oh, totally. I'm looking in your mucosa. Oh, yeah. It looks like shit. <laughs> yeah, no, all the time. It's like, do you use Afrin? I can do Q-tips <laughs> in the ears too. I'm like, do you happen to use Q-tips? Like you can't hide anything from your ear and teeth. We, we see everything. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Uh, using a neti pot without distilled water will give you brain amoebas and kill you. <laughs> it can. <laughs> if you're using water with amoebas in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Steer clear from the, of the amoeba water. So, yeah. you know, I, I definitely, you know, it's more of do you practice what you preach. Like I use a neti pot every day and I use the water from my shower. Right. But yeah. what, what do I tell patients? You know, definitely use, don't use well water. Don't use anything from, you know, a county lake or a pond um you know if, if you're gonna if you wouldn't drink it don't put it up your nose um you know so definitely I recommend something that's somewhat purified but you know ultimately if you're drinking it your nose and your mouth are connected so it's all all in one place so if, if you can drink it you can put it up your nose but to be safe to avoid any extra bacteria getting in there definitely something either distilled or you can just put it or boiled or mm -hmm. filtered they're all yeah. all good stuff. Oh, but something with a neti pot. This is yes. just a little little thing that I learned the hard way. Never forget to put your salt packet in the neti pot. Ugh. Don't try to do it without the salt. You think that it would burn less? It is like an ice cream headache on crack. It's like the worst Ugh. thing you'll ever experience in your life. So make sure you put your little powder solution into the neti pot before you you rinse. Yeah, don't neti, neti pot raw dog your sinuses. No, it's like putting vodka up your nose. Oh, God. <laughs> Not that I would know what that feels like. Which is what the kids are doing these yeah. days. Yeah. So, so you recommend against that too then? Yes. There is a guy on YouTube though that I Googled and I don't know. And he was like neti potting with all sorts of stuff. So if you're feeling crazy one day and want to look that up. You, oh, funny. I found I that not find it. I found that helpful sugar. though. I found that helpful because you did say if you can drink it, you can put it up your nose. So establishing that I can't put vodka up my nose was was so helpful. Disclaimer: <laughs> Please don't do this. I love it. I love Just it. Again, please. Um, some of these we've answered already. All right. Uh, nasal steroid sprays are bad for you. Steroids are bad. They will make you gain weight. Yes. So, you know, I have patients that swear that my Flonase made them fat, but like mm -hmm. I. I can't find any medical connection that that's what's what's doing it. But um, so it's it's definitely a, a topical spray. So it's kind of, I think of nasal sprays kind of like a cream for your nose. So, you know, if you put a steroid cream on your arm for a rash or something, it's not going to, you know, get absorbed to the point where it's going to affect your whole system. So when you're putting it in your nose, it is coating the area. The only real thing I tell people to avoid is sometimes people with glaucoma can get increased ocular pressure or eye pressure from from using it. So that's the one thing because it's, even though it's local, your eyes are right there. So if there's any little connection between the eyes and the nose, then it can kind of affect that. But 
No studies have really shown that it causes weight gain. I know a lot of parents are worried that it's going to stunt their kids' growth. Mm. I think a study came out maybe 15 years ago where it said it stunted the growth, but then when you read it, it says it was like 0.001 centimeter difference. So, I mean... <laughs> Context uh, matters, yeah. It's kind of, you know, there's, there's a risk benefit to everything, but in the world of medications, I think a topical nasal steroid is one of the safest things you could use. Which is why they, I mean, my understanding of why they're now over the counter. Absolutely. I mean, did that happen during the time that you've been practicing, Mickey? Do you feel like that was a major game changer of like, hey, you can just get Flonase over the counter? Like, I recall when I had to have a prescription for yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. So I think Flonase has been out a little bit longer. So I've kind mm-hmm. of been out my whole time. But yeah, there's definitely some antihistamines up the nose that they can. You know, people have been treating their own inhalers over the counter and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's definitely a game changer. I think that if it's gone through all that testing, then they're normally pretty safe. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, you'll breathe through your nose at night if you tape your mouth shut. <laughs> yes. Unless you don't. <laughs> I feel like I've been seeing a lot of people like talking about like just like athletic taping their mouth shut. To yeah, help I feel like that's a wellness. Nose. It's a wellness trend. I think people there, there's yeah. some, there's some like, uh, movement at this point that breathing out of our nose is better for us overall than breathing out of our mouth. And like, if you don't breathe out of your nose, you're missing out on a wellness benefit. And so people are taping their mouth shut. And I think there's a lot of things to get into there, but right. not all on this podcast. <laughs> I want to hear what the ENT has to say about it. Yeah. And I, I've heard this, especially from people who I'd say had, let's say a septoplasty or their sinuses done and they come to the office and they say that they can breathe so much better through their nose. But then, you know, once they fall asleep, it's not really changing their snoring or anything because they're so used to being a mouth breather that they're still breathing through their mouth. So yeah, I don't know how much of that is habit versus just their their body. But um, I, I would not recommend taping your mouth shut until you're 100% sure you can breathe through your nose. Yeah, smart. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end our, our debunkings, unless, Jeremy, you had one in your mind. No, put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, Dr. Fisher, do you have any resources about ENT or sinus or nasal health that you direct patients to if they want more information? Like what are the sources that you think are reputable? So there's many online, obviously Mm -hmm. not, not any of them, but you know, WebMD always has great stuff. The American Academy of Otolaryngology has some good references for, for patients that you can click on. Um, you know, if you go to Florida ENT and allergy, there's a bunch of different oh, yeah. videos and yeah. and interviews that you could look at as well. You know, there's also ways to email the doctors and, you know, I would be more than happy to answer anyone's questions if they emailed me as well. And cool. yeah, just don't watch too much YouTube. Don't believe what you see, but uh, <laughs> there's yeah. definitely options out there. Not all ENTs are scary and not everything means that we're going to go in there and, and break your nose. There's There's a lot in between not breathing and having to go through a big surgery that can, can really change your life. Awesome. I love it. And well, I'll link all those things in the show notes as well. Um, all right. Any, any last thoughts, Jeremy? Nope. I, uh, I got a lot of personal information here and I will be scheduling my nasal endoscopy. So mission accomplished. With with Dr. Fisher. Yeah. I'm really excited to know what it looks in there. Yeah. Do they send you home with those videos? Can I send that to you for your review? (laughs) You might be able to ask them to record it. Yeah. Awesome. Why not? I would love to see it. 
I we'll just like make an Instagram reel about it. That would be we get closer quickly. Yeah, if I could do it, I, I'll share my nasal endoscopy on our on our year oh, yeah. on your doctor friend's reel. It'll I be my it. it'll be my Katie Couric moment. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> it's a little bit less invasive than than going up the South End. Yes. All right. Well, if you have greater than average amount of boogers, uh, maybe you should check out an ENT so they can go up your nose with a rubber hose. And listen to your doctor friends. (laughs) (laughs) The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.